in the Hallmark store, they have an entire section devoted to thinking of you. When somebody does something thoughtful for us, something, something, oh, I'm sorry, when somebody does something good for us, we say that they are being thoughtful or consider it. So it's always good to be remembered. The Bible recognizes this. I, I remember when I was in college, it kind of became like a thing in kind of the Christian group I was in. We'd always put Philippians 1, 3 at the bottom. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So remembering, remembering people, that's always a sign of, of showing them. And, and Paul even says at the end of Colossians, remember my chains. It's almost remembering or thinking of someone is almost synonymous with being cared for. With being loved. If I, want to, I want to be thought of by people. I want to be remembered by people. Of course, the opposite of that is also very painful. You know, sometimes pop culture kind of, uh, kind of explores this. A famous movie in the 80s about uh, a girl who turns 16 and nobody remembers her birthday. And then, of course, there's the Toy Story uh, whatever, how many ever number we're up to now about the forgotten, the uh, dealing with the, the psychology of forgotten toys, uh, you know, toys that aren't remembered anymore, toys, toys that aren't uh, there anymore. We even have songs, uh, Simple Minds, you know, don't you forget about me. All right, so uh, go look that up. So you know, songs like that. That, that pain that is there, you know, the one thing you don't want as a teenager is that pain of being left out, that pain of for, being forgotten. But even those kinds of pain are so mild compared to the feeling of being forgotten by God, that God does not think about you anymore, that God doesn't care about you, that God is not watching out for you. It may seem like he used to, May seem like there was a day when he was caring for you and he was watching out for you and he was he was making everything to to go smoothly, but but now it is very difficult in where we are in the middle of our stories to remember or or to think that God remembers us. We start to think that God has abandoned us, that God has forsaken us. And by the way, that the songs that we sang this morning are all kind of minor key kinds of songs, all kind of what are, what are you seeing when you've been forgotten? You know, we're not always happy when we come to church. Not everybody's always happy. It's sometimes difficult when we feel like God has forgotten us. But God never forgets his promises. God never forgets his people. God never forgets the righteous. And God has proven that to us in his works, in history, those works that culminate in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in Genesis 39. Genesis 39. And the, the sermon is framed around two questions. The first one is, is God with the innocent? Is God with the innocent? Look at Genesis 39. We're going to read verses 1 through 20 to start. That's what it says. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. 
So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, because, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until her master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. In Genesis 38, we had been down in Canaan where Judah had gone, uh, and Judah had shown himself to be uh, a wicked man, but a wicked man who ultimately recognized his wickedness and, and was turned by God back to himself. Well, here we're just picking up in verse 1 with what happened to Joseph. Joseph went down to Egypt. What happened to him? And verse 2 tells us, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Tells us that Potiphar, one of the, one of the king's officials, bought Joseph as a slave. And, and here, even though he's a slave, God is with him. God is causing everything that he does to succeed. It, it's, it, you read verses 2 through, through 6. I mean, it is just this piling up of, of ways, of different ways of saying that everything that Joseph did was successful. Everything that he did was good. Everything, the Lord was with him. The Lord was blessing him. The Lord was enabling him. The Lord was empowering him. The Lord was giving him wisdom. The Lord was making everything that he did to go well so that the, the, the master did not worry about anything. He just, like over time, he just gave more and more and more to Joseph and said, go take care of this. Oh, that went really well. And the, the master said, sees that the Lord is with Joseph and says, take care of this and take care of this. And, and gradually he, he just grows in this responsibility. And it says that everything is going well in both in house and in field. That's a way of saying Everything that Joseph touches, everything that Joseph does is good. You know, God, God did work to bring Joseph down to Egypt. But God was with Joseph. God was causing everything that he did to succeed. You know, sometimes it's easy to think that, that God is not with us, that God is not with the righteous or with the innocent, 
when we see that the, the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And yet, in chapter 38, God had struck down the wicked because of their sin. That doesn't always happen immediately, but it always happens eventually. It happens sometimes so that we will know that God does not leave the wicked man. He does not leave him in his, in his prosperity, but instead brings him down. In the same way, God brings Joseph into slavery. But God does not leave us in the, in the dark about whether or not God is with Joseph. It says the Lord, this is the first time that, uh, this is only the second time in the story that he's been brought up. He, he was brought up when he killed wicked people in chapter 38, and now he's brought up when he is with Joseph, the innocent one, even in his slavery. And he also, you can see there that, that everything is in Joseph's charge. It says that the, the master did not, have, uh, did not have to worry about anything but the food that he ate. That means that he, the only thing that he worried about was what he was going to have for dinner and what, which slippers he was going to wear afterward. I mean, that was the only thing that he cared about. Here is Joseph, this wise man. Now, I think this is one of the part of the picture of, of Joseph that is painted over chapters 39 through 41 and even beyond is that Joseph is one who is endued with the wisdom of God. See the same thing? You could go and compare the same thing when you look at Daniel, a man who, is, who has God's wisdom and God, God gives him wisdom in everything. That's what God is doing. God is giving Joseph wisdom. So he is managing everything. Joseph has a big problem though you look at the end of verse six joseph is ridiculously good looking that is a that is a loose translation of the hebrew there i mean that is that is he he is handsome in form and in appearance okay so he has both both the the structure and the build and the face okay he is a good looking man and he is this good-looking man who is walking around in this successful house in which he appears to be the one in charge and Potiphar's wife sees him, and she wants to take him. She wants to take him as her own. She wants to bring him into her clutches. And, and this is the place that we really see Joseph's wisdom displayed, because he's given a choice. If you have a turn over in your Bibles to Proverbs 9, to Proverbs 9. What Proverbs does, especially in the first nine chapters, is set apart this, this dichotomy, these two paths that you can choose. You can choose the way of lady wisdom, or you can change, uh, choose the way of folly, the adulteress. Look at what, what, the, what, the, what the wise one says, the, the lady wisdom says in verses nine through, 1 through 12. Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 12, it says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks scent, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. 
he had this picture painted between Lady Wisdom, who is offering these rewards for wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. There's the, there is the choice. There's the choice that Joseph is presented with. And what do you see Joseph doing? Well, if you go back to, to Genesis 39, you, say, you see that he says, I, I've been entrusted with everything by my master. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't withhold anything from me. He's been good to me. In fact, Joseph, in many ways, has seen the fruit of his, his wisdom. He has received success because he is wisely administrating the things that are around him. And then he says, how could I do this wicked and evil thing in the sight of my God? What does Joseph choose? Joseph chooses the fear of the Lord. Look at what the rest of, of Proverbs 9 says. It says, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. See, the, the folly, the adulteress, makes the same kinds of promises that Lady Wisdom does. She makes the same kinds of promises that Potiphar's wife made. My husband's not at home. That's the way Proverbs pictures Lady Folly in chapter 7. Yeah, it sounds good. You're presented with this choice. Whose voice will you hear? If you are a, a simpleton, if you are naive, if you are young, who, who will you believe? Will you believe wisdom or will you believe folly? You know, Proverbs is written to primarily to young men teaching them how to choose wisdom. Who is Joseph but a young man who is every day, not just one time, but every day continually faced with the temptation to go after folly, to go after stolen water, to go after what is promised by sin to, to satisfy but never does. Young men and young women, you are every day presented with choices about what you will do with your life, about whether or not you will believe wisdom or whether or not you will believe folly. Be wise. Fear the Lord the way that Joseph did. Choose wisdom. And don't think, don't ever think what people want you to think, what the world will tell you to think, that what you choose to do in your teens and in your 20s doesn't matter. What you do in your teens and in your 20s is going to affect the rest of your life. The choices that you make are going to have consequences. The character and the habits that you establish now, those are going to be incredibly hard for you to change later in life. So be like Joseph, who chose to fear the Lord. He was presented with Probably a lovely woman who promised good things. But he feared the Lord. He said, I cannot sin against God. Now then we know from the rest of the story that from his wise choice that he immediately received success and riches and uh, was, was filled up with all good things because he made the right choice. Because he made the wise choice. 
we know that's not, we know that's not the case. I, I want to I tell you, though, that there are a lot of people who go by the name of Christian who, who kind of think in this kind of rigid, karmic kind of system where the righteous and the wise always prosper and the wicked and the evil are always punished immediately. Might even be some of you here who think that way. That's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, at the very center of the Christian faith is one who was perfectly innocent, who was perfectly righteous, who far surpassed Joseph's wisdom and righteousness, and yet he was slandered as a blasphemer. He suffered as a righteous man. Jesus Christ, there, there, no one, no one has suffered, no one has been slandered more unjustly than Jesus Christ was. And yet he submitted himself to the Father's will. He knew that humility and obedience led to death. And yet, therefore, because of his obedient death, he was exalted to the name that is above every name. And so we know that the righteous, we know that God maintains an order where often those who make righteous, wise choices do often do often succeed, do often see prosperity. And yet we also know that we live in a world that has been corrupted by sin. And we know that often those who are righteous and who are wise, they often suffer because they are righteous. What are they to do? They're to do what Joseph did. They're to do what Jesus did, who continued to entrust himself to God. We're to follow in his steps. We are to entrust ourselves to God the same way that he did. The God who always judges justly. And Jesus Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin. We might die to wickedness the way that Joseph is killing his sin here. He is, he is, he is dying to wickedness. He is dying to evil. He is dying to the flesh. And he is living toward righteousness. That's the same way that we ought to live. You know, from the rest of the story there, uh, the, the same way that, they, uh, that Joseph had his garment taken from him by his brothers, here this woman grabs his garment and she uses that to slander him and to send him to prison. And then look at verse 20. There is this little sign of hope. In verse 20, it says, And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. See, the whole time that, that, that Joseph is going down to Egypt, the whole time that he is going down into Potiphar's house, the whole time that he is going down into the prison, he's taking small steps toward the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. Maybe that just happened. Maybe it just happened that Potiphar bought Joseph. Maybe it just happened that he ended up being enslaved. And, and maybe it just happened that he was put into the prison where the king's officials were kept. Maybe, maybe that just happened. Maybe it's just, just coincidence. What it is is the wonderful, wise skill of God in bringing about his plan Joseph doesn't understand. He doesn't need to understand. He doesn't need to understand. 
we need to understand. We need to know that whatever, wherever we are in the middle of our own stories, that God is always watching after his faithful, that the Lord is always with the innocent. So he's seen that the Lord is with him in Egypt. He is with him in slavery. The next question is, has God forgotten the righteous? Has God forgotten the righteous? Pick up in still Genesis 39. We'll pick up with verse 21, just the last few verses there, and we'll read all the way through the end of chapter 40. It says, but, and that, isn't that a wonderful word? When you get thrown, in, uh, thrown into prison because of your righteous deeds, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard, guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to, to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is his interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, and he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So you see there, Joseph is down in the prison, and the same way that the Lord had been with him while he was enslaved, now he is with him while he is imprisoned, and and. Joseph is such the model the, 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 of the wise and righteous prisoner that the warden puts him in charge of everything. I just want to add just this one proverb. I, I think I, I couldn't help getting this out of my mind. 
when I was reading about Joseph. This is Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Long before that proverb was written, Joseph was living that proverb. And I think this is a lesson about providence. You know, while we, while we see ourselves in whatever assignment we are in, we're not supposed to be sitting back passive. We're not supposed to be lazy. We're not supposed to be, we're not supposed to be apathetic. We're supposed to be wise. Whatever assignment God gives to, to Joseph, Joseph wisely makes the best use of that assignment. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 7 tells us? Whatever assignment you've been given from the Lord, isn't it a good thing that we, whatever we do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him? That's what, that's what God teaches us to do. Whatever our assignment is, and that's what, that's what he is. And the Lord is with Joseph still. And, and look at this. Joseph, Joseph just happens to be in charge. And, and after some time, I, there are a couple of things in here that just drive me nuts. I mean, kind of like after some time, he's in prison. There's, there's no after some time. But this is the way you tell stories when you're trying to get to the good part. After some time, the cupbearer. And the chief baker, who just happened to be put in the same prison that Joseph is and just be, happened to be put under his care. And cupbearers and bakers just happened to be very close to the king. Cupbearers were often the, the chief confidant of the king because they basically gave the king their cup of wine and wanted to make sure that it was not poison. So both cupbearers wanted to be really close to the king and kings wanted to stay close to their cupbearers because... Hey, if that guy went, went south on you, you were in bad shape. So they were often close. So, so here are these, these men who are close to the king, and yet they are put in the same prison under Joseph's care. And then Joseph asks a funny question. He says, why are your faces so downcast? You're in prison. Uh, I also had, had dreams. And, you know, when they were back in Pharaoh's court, they had all kinds of magicians and wise men and dream interpreters there. But now they're in prison and they don't have anybody to interpret their dreams. But look, look at what Joseph says in verse 8. They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. I just think that if I were in Joseph's position, that is not what I would say. Joseph has had dreams. They have not come true. Joseph has been enslaved and then imprisoned. It, it does not seem like he, he would really be justified in thinking that God is still the one who is over everything, and yet he believes. This is, this is what faith looks like. This is what faith looks like in the middle of stories in the middle of our lives where it looks like nothing makes sense where God could not possibly be doing anything good here where where God could not possibly be in control either God is not good or he is not great 
but he cannot be doing this in my life and be both. And yet Joseph is in the middle of terrible circumstances and he is still believing that God is the one who gives interpretations. He is still the one who believes that God is the one who is at work in all these things. Well, the cupbearer tells him his, his dream. And after Joseph interprets it, it kind of makes sense. There are three branches, which is three days. And what do those, what do those branches do? They, they bud and, uh, and blossom and then burst forth with, with grapes all over them. Kind of this, this sense of flourishing that's there. And so when Joseph hears it, God gives him the interpretation and uh, Joseph tells him, God, the, the Pharaoh, the king, is going to lift up your head. Right now, your, your shoulders are kind of drooping. Your face is long. God's going to, uh, the, the king is going to lift up your head and you're going to go back and you're going to be restored to your position. Look at it in verses 14 and 15. Only remember me. When it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Same word there, by the way, pit. Same word in both the original languages and the way it's translated here. The same, same word that is used when he is thrown into the pit by his brothers. Joseph has gone down into the pit, into the cistern. He has gone down into the pit of Egypt, and now he is in the pit of this prison. And you see there that he is, that he speaks truly. I've done nothing to deserve any of this. Now, we should think about what providence really means. Sometimes Christians, when they talk about God's providence, that is the way that God sustains and governs all things, they use providence as if it were a synonym for lucky. It's not. It's not. It's, it's God's providence when you just miss being in the car accident. And it's God's providence when you're in the car accident. It's God's providence when the cancer report comes back clear. And it's God's providence when it comes back and it's terminal. God is using all of those circumstances for your good. All of them. All of them. All of them are God's providences. All of them are the way that God sustains and governs the world for those who are his people. He is working all of them for good. And Dave, uh, Joseph is talking there about being in the pit. Remember me. Please remember me. Well, the chief baker hears about the interpretation and that sounded good. And so he says, well, tell me about my dream." And he has three baskets on his head uh, with baked goods or maybe with flour. And in his dream, there are birds of prey uh, like ravens or maybe even vultures and, and, and buzzards picking the, the, the bread out of the basket. Tells the story to the, the dream to David and I mean to Joseph. And Joseph says, well, the three baskets are three days and in three days. Pharaoh will also lift your head off of you. And then you're going to be you're going to be hung. And it was very important in the ancient world uh, that a person be buried with honor. You could also I mean, obviously, in Egypt, with the place of the mummies, it was very important that you be preserved, that you would be buried with many riches. That was a sign of 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 honor. 
But this man is going to be hung and his, his flesh is going to be picked off of his body. We can kind of speculate about how the cupbearer and the baker ended up there and why the cupbearer got his sentence and why the baker got his. I think if we think about it in terms of what God does, uh, the way God works things out, we could maybe speculate a little bit. But the main, the main thing is, look at verses 20 through 21. What, what Joseph said would happen, happens. And so if, if Joseph is able to interpret dreams and hear these dreams that are coming true, these dreams that Joseph gives the, the interpretation to them, they come true. And yet Joseph has had dreams about his brothers coming and bowing down to him, even his whole family coming and bowing down to him. What do you, if, you, if this is the first time to read the story, what do you expect to happen next? Well, I would expect that very soon after this, the moral of the story is when you wish upon a star, dreams really do come true. They came true. Look, look, I interpreted these dreams. They came true. Now my dreams are about to come true. Then look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And when you hear that the chief cupbearer forgot Joseph. What does that also seem like? Somebody else also forgot him. Has God forgotten the righteous? I think that we, hopefully, this is not the first time that we've read the story of Joseph, and we know what happens. We know what happens in his story. We know that those who go down to the pit do not stay in the pit. We know that those who go down to the grave, trusting in God, do not stay in the grave. We know that God, the God who raises the dead, the God who delivered us from this deadly peril, he will deliver us again, 2 Corinthians 1, 9 and 10. We know that we have a deliverer. We know that one who raises the dead. We know one who pulls people out of the grave, out of the pit. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That is the paradigm for life. That is the paradigm for the life of the Christian. That is the the pattern. There There is the cross before the crown. There is humility. There is dissension before there is resurrection. That is what we experience. And even if the last experience that we have is the experience of the pit of the grave, we know that there is no sting there. You know, one of the things that, that if you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, that's such a great book to read. In the second part, there is this, there is this character who's supposed to uh, picture a pastor. He's sent by interpreter to guide everybody to, to the river. That's the river where everybody's going to cross. It represents death. And his, his goal is to get everybody across the river. And there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of struggles with getting across the river. I want all of us to be prepared for every pit that comes in our lives. To know that in every valley there is God's glory coming and even if that pit is death I want you to be ready to face that 
we serve a God who raises people from the dead. The culmination of everything that is here, of, of people descending, of people going down, of people being thrown into pits, of the righteous, of the innocent being forsaken and, and seeming to be have been lost. Those all come to their culmination and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, and yet because he was righteous, because he was innocent, God raised him from the dead. And now we know that those of us who participate in his sufferings will also participate in his glory. Everyone who trusts in Christ is credited with his righteousness and hopes for his resurrection. We have such confidence in Jesus. We have such confidence in every time that we see that, that God's people are, are in the pit, every time we see that they seem to have been abandoned, every time that they are in the cave out in the wilderness, every time they're surrounded by the army that is laying siege to their city, every time we see that they are, they are on the cusp, every time a viper jumps out of the fire and bites one of them, every time, every time where we see God delivering his people, we should know that's for us. God is going to deliver us. Whatever this pit is I am in now, God will deliver me. Whatever pit I find myself, even if it is on the verge of the abyss of death, God delivers me. We have nothing to fear. I know that we are in the middle of our, our stories. And I know that we do not know what our story, how, how it will be, how God will interpret our story in the end. But we know because of the stories of the faithful in Scripture. We know because of the cross and the resurrection that we will be saved. So leave here today knowing that God saves. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for the way that you you give us pictures of and stories of of real life of of stories that even in their extreme they have these echoes of our lives and we know that that as you were with joseph that you are with us and you are with all the faithful all around the world who are even now suffering persecution or even now suffering God we pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world we ask that you would be with all those who are suffering here in our congregation all of those who are are for whatever reason uh, sad for whatever reason they feel forgotten for whatever reason they are hurting help them to know help all of us to know that there is there is no sting in death there is no pit from which you cannot pull us that all things are being worked out that you have not forsaken us you gave your son for us and you will not leave us. You will not leave us. You, we will not lack any good thing. Help us to believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.